chapter 5. It's verse 3. Am I on? I'm on, man. And you ever hear of the cookie jar syndrome? The cookie jar syndrome. Well, the cookie jar syndrome is where the mother bakes nice fresh cookies and puts them in a jar and tells her kid, don't eat a cookie yet until after dinner. And as the mother's doing something, she hears the jar opening up the hand go into the cookie jar and she right away says, are you taking those cookies? What are you doing? Are you gonna, I told you don't touch those cookies. And the child says, I am not. I am resisting temptation with my hand in there. I will not take a cookie. And really, if we think about it, there are open cookie jars all around us that some believers like to put their hands in there and say, I'm resisting temptation. I'm not going to touch them. But yet, can a man put his bosom to the fire and not be burnt? I think of the world we live in right now. The world we live in not only exposes these things and tells us to do these, it encourages us each day of our lives to live an immoral life, I mean, there's websites out there that help you cheat on your spouse. Greed tells us to live in greed. I mean, the things that are out there, the, the shows that are out there that just help us to live in greed, that just encourage us, hey, you don't have enough, you need more, you need more, you need more, and we buy it. The filthy words that we hear in this world I mean, I like to listen to comedians. I mean, I like good jokes. Amen? I tell good, not one amen, but I tell good jokes. I knew I wasn't going to get an amen there, but I like good jokes. And some comedians are really good, but you, you listen to them, and a lot of them have a foul mouth. And you can't even listen to a good joke or a good comedian without hearing this vulgar talking. Do you know that in some seminaries, are you ready for this? They are taught, the preachers are taught, the future pastors are taught to curse in the pulpit to shock the people. And so I was sitting in a class, I couldn't believe this, and each student had to, had to preach, and a student gets up there, and he goes, yeah, that's a bleep and bleep, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, what in the world? He shocked me all right. Can you imagine if I threw a few of those out? Not one Amen. That's why I like the TV guardian that takes those curse words out. I think that's a good idea, don't you? <laughs> you like that one horn here, huh? <laughs> Every now and then I'll come up with a good one here that you enjoy here. I remember one of my professors saying that. They go, what do you think of this TV guardians that take out all the curse words? He goes, that's a good idea, isn't it? I mean, really, we're thinking them and we're seeing them, but it's all around us. We got our hands in cookie jars all over the place. And really, and when we study chapter 4, chapter 4 is so encouraging because chapter 4 says, look, if you have a problem with these things, 
What you need to do is rid yourself of these things and then you need to renew your mind and then you need to replace bad habits with godly habits. But in chapter 5, he's going to tell us, don't even get your hand in the cookie jar. Let this not even be a hint around you. Don't even let anyone even whisper or even think that you're doing these things. Don't even let this be a part of your lives. Not that you're struggling with this and you need to rid yourself of this and renew your mind and replace. He said this shouldn't even be named among believers. This is out of place. It's not proper. We shouldn't even be talking about it. In fact, we're going to see here in a moment, the more we talk about it, the more that people are going to start getting fascinated about it, the more they're going to start to embrace it. So we need to be careful. So let's look here as I, I show you the first question here. How do, you, how do you know if your life is following the standards of the world or the standards of the word? That's, that's a wonderful thought there. How do I know if I'm really living according to what the world says or according to what the Bible says, the word says? Well, really, it's pretty simple because in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, he tells us to walk in love to live self-sacrificing love, to think of the best of the other person, to sacrifice our own desires, to, to, to live a life for other people. But in verses 3 and on to 7, he's going to mention six things where we're not thinking about other people, we're thinking about ourselves, where we're selfish, where we're self-centered where we're self-gratifying, where life is about self. So really, how do I know if I'm living according to the standards of the world or according to the standards of the, of the word? Here it is. Am I living a life for other people and for God? Notice this here in verse 3. He's going to tell us we need to walk the path of purity. Watch this. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as it is proper among the saints. He's going to mention three vices here in verse 3. He's going to say immorality. And really he's talking about sexual immorality. The word there is porneia, where we get our English word pornography. But Paul is not talking about looking at bad movies and bad pictures here. What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any sexual indulgence outside of marriage, of God's marriage. And here's the problem that we have to be careful with. We got to be careful that we don't teach our kids or people in the church sex is wrong. It's not wrong. It's a gift from God. It's wrong when we go outside God's boundaries. That's when it's wrong. It's wrong. Listen to this. This word actually means gratifying your pleasures without any sense of relationship or care for the other person or commitment. One of the, you know, when you're on a baseball team, the baseball players like to talk. And, and, the, and some of the kids are not saved. Most of them are not saved. And one kid starts bragging about his life, you know, and different things that he does. And I said, you know what? When you wait till marriage, that stuff that you're bragging about is great. And you know what he said to me? I couldn't believe it. He goes, no, if I get married, then I have to care for the person. He gets it. 
Sexual immorality is indulging in your pleasures without caring for the person, without committing for the, to the person. Going outside God's boundaries. This includes premarital sex. This includes adultery. This includes homosexuality. All those sins are, are in there. And somebody says, well, why did God even create sex? I mean, why did, why did God do that? Well, look at this. In, in the Bible, if you ever study this out, there's three reasons why God really created sex. One reason was to procreate. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and what? Multiply. Amen. Four extremists. They're going to have five kids each. I'm going to have 20 grandkids. Amen. I can't wait to hug Jeremy and Jeremina, my grandchildren. It's going to be fun. At least we got two of the 18 names down. And you go and you think about this, but God said, be fruitful and what? Multiply. Have a bunch of them. And they better say, amen. They had five of them. That's great. See, people with seven, eight, don't go nine, ten. Now you're getting a little carried away. But you know, seven, eight. You have, you have kids. Praise God for that. Be fruitful. But that's not the only reason why he created it. And some people say, and some even churches hold, this is the only reason why God created sex is for you to have children. Wrong. Study the scriptures. You read Proverbs chapter 5, and you read that with your spouse, please. It says that he created it for pleasure. There ought to be pleasure there. And not only that, it talks about protection in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, where Satan knows where we're weak. So he says this, don't deprive one another, come together because Satan is there to tempt you. So it's protection as well. It is wonderful in God's boundaries. But when we get out of sight of God's boundaries, it is hurtful. And I can't tell you how many people I've counseled or seen lives destroyed because they've gone outside of God's boundaries with this. There was a sweet Mexican family that came to minister in Utah. They were ministering together. Both he had a ministry to the police department and the children. She had a ministry as well. They were here on, uh, they, they, they got their green card. They were, they were ministering together. Four beautiful children. And he went outside God's boundaries. He raped two young girls. The family had to go back to Mexico. He's in jail right now. The pain in their lives. Can you imagine the daughters? Their own father, the hero that they looked up to, this guy that was going and having a ministry amongst the people, amongst the police department and all that. Now he's in jail. You imagine the wife, how she feels, her husband, her hero, the one that came and preached the gospel. Their pain destroys outside of God's boundaries. I can go on and on. But really, the reasons why God created it was to procreate pleasure and protection. And it is beautiful, beautiful in God's boundaries. Look at the next one. He says here, impurity. This is open sexual immorality. We used to live in a world where it said, don't ask, don't tell. But now we're in a world that says, watch me, baby. I'm going to do this in front of everybody. 
This is open immorality, this impurity. And, and back then, here's what was interesting. Back then in the city of Ephesus, they had this temple to this goddess where they would go there and there was prostitutes and homosexuality and all kinds of, it was open. Isn't it amazing with all the sophistications and all the things that we have now, our society has not gotten any better. It is open and it is getting more open. This is open immorality. This is filthy living. This is unclean living. And then if that's not the bad enough, look what he puts in there. Another word that's greed. This is the desire for more and more or just a little more. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money is enough money? And he said, just a little more money. And we start to live this life where we fill our souls with stuff rather than with God. Look, look at this verse here in, in Matthew. He simplifies. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Wealth. We can't fill our hearts with stuff. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying this. In chapter 4, I want you to read yourselves, renew your minds, and replace yourself. In chapter 5, he says, you are living in a society that encourages immorality, impurity, and greed. And here's what I want. I don't want this even to be named among you. Not even a hint that we're living these kinds of lives. Nobody should even look at us and say, hi, you see him? Uh-oh, something's, something's going wrong. Something's, uh, I mean, he's forming a relationship with somebody that's not his wife. Something's going on with him. Not even a hint. I just got my beautiful office now. I'm all excited about it. I set up my, I set up my desk. Milo loves it. I set up my desk here. And I got my monitor up and all that. And I'm all excited. I'm in my chair. And my friend goes like this. Why is your monitor facing the wall? I said, yeah, monitor's facing the wall. That's so why I like it. I, he goes, no, no. You should have your monitor turned around so people can see what you're looking at. I said, well, by God's grace, I'm not looking at anything. Right now. He goes, not even a hint. They shouldn't even think that you're looking at something wrong. So now my beautiful office has changed. My desk is in the corner here. My monitor's out there so anyone can see it. Not even a hint. People shouldn't even be able to whisper. And here's the problem. When people start to think about these things, they, they, at first they endure it. Then they, get, they have pity for it. Then they start to embrace it. This is scary. I knew a guy who, his daughter, something happened to his daughter, so he started to study people who did those things. I said, what do you do in studying people that do that? He goes, I just want to see how they, they feel, what they, what's going through their minds. I said, I don't understand what you're doing. And all of a sudden, a few months later, he started to embrace that same lifestyle. Be careful. He says here, this should not even be named among you. We, this should be, should, not, it's not proper, it's out of place for saints. 
And then he's going to go in here and then he's going to say this. Look at this in verse 4. He's going to mention three other ones. This is interesting here. He's going to start to talk about our mouths and our lives as well. He's going to start talking about our words here. He says, he says, filthiness here. There should be no filthiness. And really, he's talking about that, the, 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 the filthy words or the, the filthy conduct that we can have or the ugly words. People, people ask, should Christians curse? You ever hear that one? Um, that's a tough one to answer. You say, wait a minute, Jeremy, it's simple. Right here in verse 4, it says, no filthiness, no cursing, and all that. Well, yeah, it does. And you want to be careful. Um, sometimes a bad word to you may not be a bad word to someone else. Uh, we want to be careful. Our mouths, we need to be careful. Um, should we talk like the world talks? The answer is absolutely what? No. no. Should we express the words that they use to express when there's so many other words out there? The answer is what? No. But this filthiness is not talking about cursing here. This filthiness is talking more about a conduct that after you do it, you're ashamed and you feel ugly about it and you're like, why in the world am I living this way? And then look at this next word, silly talk. You know that word? I love this word. If you, if you, if you don't know any other word in the Bible, look at this word. This word is a compound word that literally means words of a moron. <laughs> I love this word. He says, don't talk like a moron. Now, I want you to picture something. I, I, I love this because I was in college and we went to uh, a medium security prison as a field trip. That was kind of fun. And all these guys that looked like me with all these muscles, you know, they had all your muscles, you know, and all they did was work out and all that. And we walked right through them. And, and it was funny. If you didn't want to work in the jail in the medium, they, they would handcuff you to a pole and you would have to sit there all day if you didn't want to work. And so we're walking, and they let the prisoners talk to us at the end. So here we are in this little crowd, our class, and this guy gets up. I'll never forget. And he goes like this. My name is Moron. They call me Moron. And I want you to count to five. So we're all sitting there. We go, one, two, three, four. He goes, I'm in your house. I get in there in five seconds. And then Moron goes like this. Moron goes, and this is what I use to get into your house. And so there's a prison guard right next to him. And the prison guard goes, thank you, moron. <laughs> Did he live up to his name or what? What kind of a moron would get up and say, here's what I use to get into your house that he could probably use to get out of jail. And the prison guard's right next to him and takes it from him and says, thank you, moron, and put it in his pocket. We were all dying laughing. We get back to the class, and my professor, he was a funny guy, he goes, boy, I tell you, moron was a moron. He did talk like a moron. But isn't it amazing how many times we can talk like a moron? And he says here, there should be none of that foolish talk. This silly words, these moronic words that, that really don't edify people, that cut people down, that bring them down. He says in the next thing here, coarse jesting, the word really, it was positive word for wit, but then it became this vulgar humor. Let me just tell you something. God is not against a good joke. Amen? 
He, the God that made monkeys laughs. He's not against bad, good jokes. He is against bad jokes, but good jokes he likes. So I got one for you. I got it from Bob. So if you don't like this one, groan at him. He sent it to me this week and it lifted my soul and brought me closer to God. No, it didn't. But anyway, here is the... Uh, did you hear about the guy that got into a fight with one, three, five, seven, and nine? The odds were against him. <laughs> Cam, is that a bad one? <laughs> Cam's about to jump up and strangle me here, huh? Just smile at Bob after the service. <laughs> Tell him thank you for that. I don't know where he gets it. I don't know if he's having his devotions. I don't know where he gets it from. I don't know where they come from. There's nothing wrong with good jokes, but these vulgar jokes, these sexual jokes that make light of the things that Christ died for, they have no place amongst us. Somebody comes up to you and starts telling you these vulgar jokes, don't laugh. Christ died for that. Really what it is, is all these words are saying they're coming from a dirty mind that's expressed in a dirty conversation. And we live in a world like that. And before we know it, our hand is in the cookie jar. And we're like, wow, that's, that's a funny one. Thank you for telling me that. Uh, you cheat on your wife. <laughs> How is that funny? How is that funny that they make light of these things that have eternal significance? So somebody says, Jeremy, what do I do? Immorality is all around me. What, what do I do? Impurity is all around me. Greed is all around me. These words are all around me. They're so easy to come out of my mouth. What do I do? That is, this is where this passage is so wonderful because he says this. Instead of doing these things that are not even a hint in your lives, they shouldn't even be named among you, you ought to cultivate a thankful heart. Look at this here. But rather giving of thanks. This, I, I studied this out plenty of times, but this never hit me like it did this time. Because what he's saying here is, instead of living in sexual immorality, thank God for the gift of sex. Instead of, instead of living in greed, thank God for the things that you have. Instead of using your words for vulgar jokes and saying all kinds of words, that are, thank God with your lips. So here it is. The cure, the way we can combat these things is to cultivate a thankful heart. So what is he saying here? He's saying this, thank God for the gift of sex. Really, I thank God as a single person, I met somebody who was committed to purity. I thank God for that. I thank God that I am married to somebody who is committed to purity. So thank God for that. Thank God for your spouse. May not be perfect. Katie, in her case, far from it. Her husband, even further. But when I'm sitting throughout the day going, thank you, Lord, for Katie. I mean, and there's times when I am just stuck and tears come down my eyes. I can't believe what I married. I'm not just saying that because my in-laws are here. I cannot believe what I married. Amazing. 
And the more I thank God for her, the less I start thinking about other people and trying to satisfy my needs with someone else. Thank God for the person that he's brought into your life. Thank God, look at this next one, for your share of the world's material possessions. Stuff is not wrong to have. It's wrong when the stuff has you. Thank God for it. I'm thanking God. I got an office. Praise God. Thank God for it. I thank God for the things that, 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 that he has brought. It doesn't mean that we have to stay away if those things are bad. They're not bad. But thank God for them. And it's amazing as you thank God for the things that you have, you're satisfied in your heart. You know what King David's problem was? That he kept going after other women and one. He had 16 wives. And then he needed Bathsheba. Why did he need Bathsheba? Well, God says to him, look, if I thought you needed more, I would have given you more. But David didn't have a thankful heart for what he had. And he kept going after more. Thank God for your share of the world's possessions. And thank God for the ability to express truth and encouragement with words. Instead of using and telling those vulgar jokes that really leave people shamed around you, Let's use our words to encourage and push others towards Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that with our mouth, we can share a gospel and it could change people's lives for eternity? If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Just a few words telling them what Jesus has done, that he came, he left glory, he died for our sins, he was buried and he rose again. And if you put your faith in him, your life will change for eternity. Wow, that's exciting. Why not use our words to encourage and push others? Thank God for the ability to express truth and encouragement with words. Now, this is going to get tough here in a moment. Because there's a lot of things we don't know in this world. But I'm going to tell you something we do know. Look at this verse. For this you know with certainty. Look at this. That no immoral or impure person or covetous person man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Look at this verse. There are people living in immorality that say, I'm saved. There are people who are living in greed and their whole life is about money and they have nothing for God and they just kill themselves every day to get more and more stuff and they say, I'm saved. Oh, are you? The Bible says this, for we know with certainty that these people whose lives are characterized by immorality, I'm not talking about somebody who makes a mistake and and does something that doesn't please God. I'm talking about somebody whose life is characterized by these sins. They have no part in God's kingdom. None. He says, oh yeah, we're living together. We have immoral sex all the time, but we're saved. We love Jesus. No, you don't. No, you don't. In fact, this is a very serious verse. He doesn't say we just think about it or maybe possibly. No, we know with all certainty this is not God's people. Their lives are characterized as an unregenerate heart. We're not talking about somebody who falls into these sins and makes a mistake here and there. We're talking about somebody whose life is characterized by this. 
But yet there's people in churches that just try to give them this false assurance. Oh, don't worry. You just, oh, you guys are okay. You love Jesus, but you're living in immorality. Who cares? You love Jesus. You're okay. You're going to heaven. Look at verse six. Let no one deceive you with what? Empty words. You know what he's saying here? Don't let anyone tell you you're okay when you're not okay. You know what he's saying here? These people are headed for the wrath of God. You know what he's saying here? This is serious. This ain't a matter of, oh, why don't you just accept them and give them a hug and tell them everything's okay. No, I'm not going to put my arms around somebody who's headed to hell and say you're okay. They're not. The Bible is very clear and let no one, no church, no pastor, no, no so-called believer deceive you with empty words and tell you you're all right when you're not all right. These words carry no weight to them. They, they're empty. They're vain. They won't because it says the very wrath of God comes upon them when they're living in these sins. We had a young couple come to church in Argentina. They were believers. Believers, right? They said. Living in immorality. They're in Argentina. Very easy. They, they, they call the juntados. They, they get together and they just, they, they shack up together because marriage cost them 20 pesos. A divorce that cost them 100,000. So they say, why even get that? Why even go that far? Let's just live together and let's just you know, uh, just get together and who cares? Well, God cares. And so they come to church and everything they think is all right. And as a pastor, these are tough conversations to have with people. I tell you, that's why I'm glad we have other elders now. I just send them to them. Yeah, I mean, they deal with it, huh? Amen. But we had, I never forget, we had, we had this Bible study together and we're going through and they really believed everything was okay and we went through verse after verse of different things and we finally came to their situation of living together but not glorifying God by being committed to one another. And I opened up my Bible and I said, look what it says here. It says, you are in a category of people who are not saved. Is that the category you want to be in? And they paused. I mean, it struck them. And I praise God, I married them. And their kid, it was amazing what God did through that and, and everything. He said, you know what? We got to do what's right before the Lord. I wish every story was like that. But I've sat down with people who are living in these sins and so deceived that they are okay when they're not okay. And only the Holy Spirit can show them. You need to get right with God. Why live in a category of unbelievers when you should be showing the world that you're saved? Why live in a category of sins where there should not even be a hint of those things in our lives? And here's the cure for it. Cultivate a thankful heart and live within the boundaries of God and thank God for the things that he has given to you. And use your mouth 
Instead of speaking like a moron, we should use our mouths to bring people towards Jesus Christ. What a wonderful passage this is. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore do not be partakers with them. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying this. If they come to you and look at you and say, I'm all right, I need you to accept me, I need you to really accept my lifestyle and, and, and stop judging me and all this, you can say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm not judging you. The Bible tells me not to be a partaker of this. I, I, you put me in a bad situation. You're telling me to accept something that God doesn't accept. No, no, no. The Bible calls us to separate from that and to live a life that pleases Him. So we confront it lovingly and we encourage them with our mouths to get right with God. And when these sins start to come into our lives and we're tempted to put our hand in the cookie bar, remember, in cookie jar, remember God says this, not even a hint. There shouldn't be anybody even thinking you're going there. Change your life in any way you need to to make sure that they don't even think you're that. And live a life of love that sacrifices your own desires for the benefit of other people. I tell people, when you live in immorality, you're not loving that person. You lust that person. There's a difference. When you're living in greed, you're, not, you're loving the things of the world rather than loving the Savior. When your mouth is speaking things that are moronic or things that are vulgar and all that, you're not loving these people around you. You're a loving self. So walk in love and sacrifice those desires for our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, how easy it is, Lord, to put our hands in the cookie jar in a world of open immorality, a world of open acceptance of immorality, impurity, and greed. A world that everywhere we go, we hear words that don't glorify you. And it's so easy for us to at first endure it, then pity it, and then embrace it. So God, I pray right now that you would help us to cultivate a heart of thankfulness. Thank you for our spouses. Thank you, Lord, that sex is good in your eyes, within your boundaries. It pleases you. It's a gift from you. Father, help us to remember how the abuse of your gift brings pain and heartache to people around us. Father, thank you for the material things that you gave us. You've given us so many things, Lord. Some of our needs and a lot of our wants. Thank you for that. 
And thank you, Lord, for the gift of words where we can actually speak truth to one another and share a message that could change people's lives for eternity. Thank you for that. So God, I pray that there would not even be a hint of these things in our lives. That if there is, that Father, you would help us to make the changes we need to make. And God, I pray if there's anyone that's living in these things that thinks they're okay with you, that, Father, that you would remind them through this passage of Scripture that, no, they're not okay. In fact, your very wrath is coming upon them one day. That today would be the day that they would call upon Jesus Christ and be saved. Oh, God, we beg you for that. Father, help us. It's all around us. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen.